Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. My guest today is Howard T. Scott. He is a former attorney from Georgia who 12 years ago left that career, bought a boat, and now sails most of the year. We have a very fascinating conversation about the places he's been, what the transition was like from basically knowing nothing about boats to now becoming a, uh, you know, a, a, a basically a sailor, someone who has their own boat and is sailing around all sorts of places. We talk a little bit about that journey. And we also get into a rescue that they did at sea. Very interesting. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Howard is also the author of Rascal on the Run. His book was released in January. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. I think after this conversation, you really are going to want to check out his book because, I mean, it's inspired by his life and, and just the stories that we get into in this conversation are really fascinating, interesting, motivational, inspirational. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. So be sure to check out the link to the book. That's going to be down in the show notes. Um, but I don't want to keep you too long. I just want to do a couple of things. We want to catch up on a few things, a couple of videos that are out since you heard the last episode of the podcast. By the time you're listening to this, I did a full bug sweep of a vacation rental. What does that mean? Well, I've done reviews of these bug sweepers. These are little electronic devices that can help you find hidden cameras and microphones that might be in your hotel room or in your Airbnb or other vacation rental. I've reviewed those products, I've showed you how to use them, but this time I wanted to make it a little more interesting. So I had my sister rent out an apartment for one day and hide surveillance devices in there. I didn't know how many microphones and cameras would be there. I didn't know where they would be. I knew nothing. I had no idea. I'd never seen this place before. So I wanted to put my bug sweeping skills to the test, put the detector to the test as well, and then show you how I would go about doing an actual bug sweep so it can help you feel and get more privacy when you are traveling. So be sure to check that out. That's on YouTube at Fox Nomad. Oh, and if you're familiar with the eastern shoreline of the United States, maybe you sail or you yacht, well, Howard has a question for you. That's going to be in the podcast as well. So that is enough of announcements and background. Here is my discussion with Howard T. Scott. Well, we're ready. Yeah, let's go ahead and start. Thank you, Howard, for, for joining the podcast. I appreciate your time. Um, you you caught my eye just because the, the background of, of you being a lawyer for 30 some years and then deciding to sail, you know, half the year is, it just seems it's both incredible. It's an interesting story, but also I'm interested in the logistics of how does that happen? You know, everybody wants, I feel like a lot of people want to travel the world or sail on a boat. You know, this is an idea, but actually getting from the idea to implementation seems uh, a, a little bit difficult, but, but uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and, and share, you know, how that all happened. Well, my name is Howard Scott. Uh, I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia, and practiced law in Athens for many, many years. And uh, I've always had a lust for travel. And many people start life, and they want to see the world, and they want to do many, many things, and they have aspirations and dreams. And along the way, uh, most of us end up starting a family or getting married and starting their career. And to be honest, I think most people end up, uh, even though they have the urge to travel, things happen that prevent that. Either uh, their careers don't allow them the flexible flexibility of travel, and then they get married possibly, maybe they have a family, Maybe they're raising children and all these things happen. Maybe they get caught up in buying a bigger house, uh, getting in debt, and then you're so constrained that you can't travel, that you can't get away, that you're caught on a hamster wheel in your little town or your big town or wherever you live and whatever you do. And you look back and say, where'd the time go? Why didn't I follow my dream? Why didn't I do this? Uh, my generation really did fall into that. A younger generation, uh, they've decided to delay marriage or delay the start of a family or maybe not having a family at all. Those are things that, that 
you can make decisions early on in life to allow yourself the ability to travel and the freedom to do what you want. So it's, it, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, as a lawyer, you, you wouldn't, I, I don't think it, there's a lot of vacation time being a lawyer. Is that true? Or is that a misconception that I have? No, it is true. Uh, you tend to, if you're successful, you're working six hour, six days a week. Sometimes Sunday afternoons, you're preparing for trial starting on Monday morning. Uh, and that's the way it was with me. Um, I started out working at my father's law firm when I was 13 years old, doing errands and and clerical work and just whatever needed doing. Uh, and then in high school, learning a few things that I could do as a kid and it seemed like that's all I ever did. Uh, but when I started law school, I decided that I wanted to do it a little bit differently. Uh, I wanted to make career choices and personal choices that would allow me freedom. And I thought about it. Why do I want to ha start this career? Why do I want to work 60 hours a week? Is it to uh, earn money? Of course. But what's the purpose of money? And philosophically, I decided that the purpose of money is not to accumulate things. It's to allow yourself freedom, freedom to choose where you want to go, when you want to go, how much time you could take off. Uh, it's about uh, letting money work for you instead of you working for money. It's about all those things. And uh, it worked for me. And I retired when I was 49 years old. And then I could say, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Uh, well, travel was one of those things. And I thought, well, do I want to live in a place where it's cold and rainy all winter? And I said, no, I want to be in a, a sunny place. I like to be on beaches. I like sunshine. I like to walk around barefoot. I like to be in a t-shirt and a bathing suit. And then you know, it's, it was a decision that, uh, that I could make early on, and I did it because I planned for it. Anyhow, uh, I think you wanted to know a little bit about how I transitioned. Is that right? Well, yeah, but, but you bring up an interesting point. Now, I'm curious, you know, you, you were a lawyer for 31 years, 30, 31 years. Well, pretty much, uh, give or take a year or two. Uh, you're right. And did you have this plan to save up for an early retirement from the beginning? Or, or did you just know that you wanted to save up money to have this freedom? I mean, was it a concrete plan or did it sort of evolve? Well, it, 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 it was a concrete plan, but it, it, it evolved as well. Um, I grew up in a college town and I practiced law in a college town. So it was a no-brainer for me to start with a single rental house, which led to a second rental house, which led to a third, which led to duplexes or quadruplexes or other rental property. It, along the way, I found that I had a love and appreciation for historic renovation. So I started buying old buildings in downtown Athens, restoring them and converting them for retail on the first floor and apartments upstairs. Then I decided, well, uh, if I did this under historic preservation guidelines, I could get tax credits. And just I started learning about things. So aside from practicing law, I would uh, look around town for opportunities for rental, rental properties. So when I turned 49, all of those properties had been paid for. So I had strict cash flow to do what I wanted. And the way I did that is I never bought new cars. I never bought fancy houses along the way. I just put every penny that I didn't actually have to have for daily and, and yearly and annual uh, living expenses. I put it all in, into buying these. And next thing you know, I had some equity and equity allows you to borrow without having to uh, put a down payment up for another commercial property or rental property. So it evolved like that. And, you know, 
did it ever become tempting? You know, right. I, I think it could be tempting to say, you know, maybe just a couple more years or, or just a couple more investments, or I, you know, I could make a little bit more, you know, I feel like, you know, that, that could be a trap that, that could be easy to fall into, you know, especially if you, you know, you've had this plan, you can go, ah, you know, maybe, maybe another year or two. I mean, did that ever happen or, or tempt you in it? Uh, well, it did. And I, I, uh, I, that's another story, but the bigger temptation is that you want, uh, before you can really afford it to buy the boat, before you can really afford it to buy the rental property at the beach or the vacation property at the beach. And then you find you're saddled with debt. Maybe you buy an, a really hot car or those kinds of things. Those are things that are tempting along the way. But if you can, if you can focus and invest in what is good long-term, and it's what you know. And if in a town where there's a strong rental market, you know that, you invest in that. But the quest for travel and turning my profession uh, on its ear and just walking out the door and going to a different life uh, started with the 08 real estate crash. And everybody knows that... Uh, the value of homes and all kinds of properties dropped precipitously. So I headed to South Florida, looked around for some cool properties. And everywhere I went, I found that the really good properties were still valued at a pretty high level. And then I started thinking, do I want to be tied to one place, Miami, the Keys, Fort Lauderdale? Do I really want to be tied to that by buying a property? I said, I wanted to be in a warm place and I wanted to enjoy that. But, you know, South Florida is hotter than Hades in the summertime. Why do I want that? So all of a sudden it dawned on me that being on a boat would allow me to follow the sun. It would allow me to the adventure and to change environments and to see and experience different cultures. So, you know, I knew nothing about boats. I had no idea. So I started looking and I bet I looked at a hundred boats before I decided on my first boat. And, you know, it's from that point, it's about taking that leap of faith. You know, this is something you don't know anything about and you have no idea what it's going to cost you, what the experience is going to be like, whether your boat is going to be a, a floating disaster and it's always going to have to be repaired and maintained and how do you drive it uh, who drives it what do you do how do you get from one country to another well you have to just take that jump and and do it and that's what i did i bought my first boat i enrolled in captain school i didn't know what the heck i was doing i barely knew port from starboard and and on the way, I met people, and they were sharing information, ideas, exciting countries to visit, and I never looked back. I've loved it from day one. So, yeah, as someone who also, I mean, at, right now, uh, you, you, you know, I don't know a lot about boats, but I can look at a boat and say, I like that boat. I mean, how do you go from that point to figuring out what you need? I mean, you know, motors and size, all those things. I mean, what, what is, how does that research look like? Well, you go to a boat broker and they're much like a real estate broker. They'll tell you all the wonderful things about it. And they don't necessarily tell you the, the backstory of all the maintenance and repairs and actual costs, but you find someone that you can trust and get as much information from them. Then go talk to captains who do this every single day and uh, talk to other people who are boat owners and you're, you're absorbing information and you find out what it's really going to take. And then you start by creating a budget. What do you think the annual or monthly cost of fuel is going to be? How much fuel burn do you have per hour and every hour on the water? How, what's the distance you can travel in an hour on this boat? And what are the dock fees look like? What are, uh, do you have a per hour maintenance reserve that you build 
for keeping your boat maintained. It's paint, it's varnish, it's interior. What about your air conditioning? I mean, it's a million things. So it's, it's fun and exciting. It's different. And the size boat you get is de totally dependent on your budget. And like most people, they start with a small boat and they dip their toes in the water. They have it for a couple of years and then they figure out, well, my needs require a little bit bigger boat. I want to be able to do some major crossings. I want to go from the Turks and Caicos down to Puerto Rico, and that's a 48-hour run. What kind of uh, equipment do I need to do that? Then I want to go all the way down through the Virgin Islands. I want to go then to the French West Indies. I want to take the the Grenadines and follow all those islands down to, to Grenada. Then I want to go to Venezuela. Maybe I want to go to Central America. Uh, what's it like going to Cuba? What's it like going to a million places? And then up the East Coast, how far can I go? Can I go up rivers? Do I go to Washington, D.C.? Do I take the Hudson River up to West Point? Do I go through the Erie Canal into the Great Lakes? I mean, there are there's a million options and it's fun and you're talking to people along the way and and figuring it out and using the internet to do a little research and there you have it. So do you take the classes first? Do you get the boat first? How, you know, at how, at what point do you does the actual process begin? In, in other words, for you what was the first step in your mind? Well, the first First step is to go search uh, boats and for sale in Fort Lauderdale and looking at them. And, you know, you look at one boat, it's uh, a contemporary design. Do I like that? Is that affordable? Uh, can I operate that boat myself or do I need a crew? What's within my budget? Uh, you're, you call up a broker, you go look at two or three boats and they educate you. You usually don't start something like captain school until you've made the commitment to buy the boat for sure. But that literally was a two week course. But the shocker was that I entered the course and I sat down and I looked around and everybody in the had five or six years experience on boats. And here I was, I didn't know anything. So I was doing homework till midnight to keep up with the people who had a lot of uh, on hands, practical experience being a mate or uh, deck hand on boat and they had a good bit of knowledge when they walked into the class. It was, was sobering to, to see what I was seeing, but it was just part of the experience and it made it fun. It gave me a little more knowledge and confidence about what I was doing and that was that. But the real fun is when you get away from the dock and you're cruising along and you're, you can't see land and you're looking at the weather charts, you're looking at the wave action, you're piloting your boat, you're setting the navigation, you're working with the autopilot, you're doing engine room checks. Uh, and at night, you look up and you have no light interference whatsoever, and you see a zillion stars. And then the next day you cruise in and you're looking at islands on your port and starboard side and and you're just smiling and figuring out where you want to drop anchor or where what port you want to enter and tie up at the dock with. So how much time between, let's say, purchasing the boat and then the first time that, you know, I imagine like a car, like, the, you know, when you get a driver's license, the, the first time in a car and going around a parking lot, is there a boat version of that, you know, where you just, you know, well, there is. Yeah. The, the first thing you do before the, the purchase of the boat is completed, you do a sea trial and you go out with a captain driving the boat and an engineer who's going through the entire boat stem to stern to give you an idea of what is the true condition of the boat? They'll, they'll test and prove every aspect of the boat, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, uh, generators, main engines, bow thrusters, props, shafts, transmissions, uh, 
everything from the water maker to the sewage system to uh, all the navigation equipment, the computers, uh, uh, the deck equipment, the davit that uh, that lowers your dinghy into the water, the condition of your dinghy, uh, the engine, the uh, the cables and ropes and lines and uh, the fenders. And I mean, it's one thing for another. It's your radar. Your, everything has to be proven. And then like any boat, you find things that need repairs, adjustments, updating, and you make that list. You then create your budget of what are the things that you must do for safety reasons and what are the things that you just want to do because it would be cool to do it or it would be a nice option to have. I mean, uh, the boat I have has internet, it has Apple TV, it has every electronic. You, it's like a condo on the sea. So you can enjoy um, 3,500 movies, a thousand television series are loaded on the Plex system. It's an entertainment center. I mean, I have 10 speakers on my flybridge. So I like to say I could get a noise ordinance violation in Nassau while the boat's parked in Miami. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we can blast it out and have a dance party or we can chill and watch classic movies or, or dial in Apple TV and have an array of any entertainment option or read a book and take this. So you're on the boat now these days about half of the year. Is that, is that right? Actually, more than that. I'd say eight months to eight and a half months out of the year. Uh, I would say that I do a four-month to four-and-a-half-month winter uh, period, and then a four, four-and-a-half-month summer period. And in the winter, it's in the Caribbean or Central America. Uh, in the summer, it's up in the Northeast. And it could start by hopping from Saint, uh, Fort Lauderdale, St. Augustine, maybe up to Savannah, then Charleston, and then to Wilmington, North Carolina, in through the Carolinas, uh, through uh, Buford, North Carolina, then up the in intercoastal waterway to into Virginia, to Norfolk, and all of a sudden you're out in the Chesapeake Bay and you've got 15 or 20 different options of where you can go and what you can do. Then you can even have further options by going up the Potomac River or uh, the Del uh, into the Delaware Bay after that. You could go to Philadelphia. You could go around Cape May and then up into New York. You can uh, do Long Island Sound, which that puts you into many options there. It could be Martha's Vineyard. It could be Nantucket, Newport, Rhode Island, then through Cape Cod up to Boston and then on to uh, New Hampshire and then all of Maine and then your options are to go further, if you like, up to into Canada. So what was the first trip? I mean, so you, you get your, your license. You feel, I'm assuming, somewhat comfortable in the boat at this point that, you know, what, what, what do you do? You know, do you, do you just maybe hang around the harbor for a couple of weeks? I mean, you know, I'm thinking, or, or do you just take a big trip? I mean, what, what is the, where did you go? Well, well, the first thing is you're freaked out because you really don't know what you're doing. So you get a captain to go with you and work through all the systems and train you. And I worked under a captain for quite a while. And he was teaching me how to do lines and fenders. He was te teaching me how to plot and do uh, charting. He was teaching me how to maneuver the boat and different things. And <clears throat> Uh, the first thing you do is you cross the uh, channel into the Bahamas. And once you get into the Bahamas, it's usually weather dependent, uh, pretty easy to hop from island to island. Most of those islands are one, two, three, five hours apart. So it's uh, you start that and you're meeting people and they're saying, oh, I just got back from Harbor Island or I just got back from Abacos and it's wonderful there. And they start telling you stories of wonderful places and and you just start going and everything is weather dependent so you may only 
think you're going to be in one area for two days and it might be five days because there's a, a rough seas out there. And the last thing you want to do, especially when you're starting, is to get into rough weather and rough seas. And, and uh, you know, you don't want to be hanging over the side of the boat uh, depositing your lunch into the ocean. <laughs> so you start out very cautious and you've always got to be cautious because the one thing that's certain is that mother nature rules and you can't fight it. You must go with it and you must learn to, to chill out and be able to pivot and change your plans at a moment's notice. And that's good. It changes it from a structured life of practicing law to the unstructured life of being on the water. That's, uh, that's a big change and mentally, and it's a good change. It was part of the changing of how I wanted to live my life. So those first couple trips are with the captain. So you have somebody who, who's sort of, you know, knows, is experienced and can show you kind of on-the-job training, I, I guess I would sort of, you know. Absolutely. The worst thing you can do is to go out half-cocked and, you could not only be a danger to yourself, you could wreck your boat, you could uh, do major damage to your boat, but worse, you could hurt somebody yourself or someone else because we're talking about a hundred ton vessel and to maneuver it, to go in safe conditions for your own safety and the safety of others, you really need to have some experienced personnel on board with you. And like anything, it takes a while. It's an art. It's a science. It's all, all in one. And uh, now I've gotten to where I've hired a captain working full-time and a crew because maintaining a boat is it's work. So a lot of people whose budgets don't allow for a large vessel start out with the sailboat. They start out uh, with just one captain for themselves and their, and they do it uh, in steps. So it all depends on your budget. It depends on what you grew up with. Maybe you learned how to sail as a kid in camp and you wanted to expand on that and learn what you're doing. But you meet people and I met a lady and her husband who had never really done much sailing except on a lake. And they took off from Canada to do a two-year adventure. And they, this lady wrote a book. And she wrote about their travels. And I read that book. And it gave me the insight of what they went through as a couple uh, in their travels. And it was fascinating. Uh, because they were literally learning as they went. They learned to trust each other's skills. They learned... Uh, all the intricacies of their boat. They read manuals from front to back and, and problem solved and solved problems along the way. And it was fascinating to see what they did through this book. And then I met them and they uh, related to me what they learned about their boat and about what they were doing but also the joys and the, the highs of, of doing it themselves, the accomplishment, the self-satisfaction, and then all the different people they met. But, and the book was about not only their travels, but about the cultures uh, that they experienced of people in Puerto Rico and people in the Bahamas and people in the Grenadines and you know, the Spice Islands, the... The, you know, they learned history, they learned cultures, they learned about their food and about fishing and uh, every, it's just, it was a whole new world. They had been inner city people and had no idea what was out there, but they had to take that one leap of faith and they had to have the courage and the intestinal fortitude to say, you know, somebody else has done this. We can do this too. And if there's anything I learned is that if you can sit there and say, I wish I had done this, or you can be bold and do it. 
And it's better to have tried than failed than to have not tried at all. And that's so true. And in boating or whatever adventure you feel like you want to take, and whether it's moving to South America and, and pursuing a dream of adventure travel or into adventure sports or to figure a way to make your way financially and culturally and personally, do it. But think ahead and plan what you really want in life. And that's what my book was really about, about figuring out about what you really wanted in life. And along the way, the book deals with the, the professional side, which was part of my career involving trying several murder cases that were extremely compelling and interesting. And so I wrote a little bit of a personal biogra biographical sketch, but done fictionally but also a murder mystery whodunit kind of treatment, as well as some introspective analysis about what I wanted in life and how that was different from what my dad wanted in life. So there's a father-son discussion going on in the book at the same time. And those dealt with a lot of personal issues that were compelling and then it, it came to the point of where when I decided to pivot and take a chance and do I really want to live the life that I laid out into my middle age and later years or do I want to change and do something different and I changed and I couldn't be happier and you know where did the um, actually, I did have an, another question. You know, when we're traveling, at least when I'm traveling, you know, occasionally you have those moments where you're sitting in front of a monument you've always wanted to see, or you're you're eating a food that you had always read about or something, and you go, "Wow, I can't believe I'm in this moment." You know, th th this is amazing, and you have that kind of surreal experience where you're almost looking from the outside in at your at yourself. Um, I'm I can imagine that you you probably have a lot of those moments. You know where you're somewhere or something is happening and you're like, wow, this is actually happening. Uh, you know, do you have some of those? Well, I do. And uh, the, I'll shorten the story, but I'm sitting on the, literally on the end of the dock in Antigua at Nelson's dockyard. And I'm thinking about the fact that I had to take a flight back to it. And I was thinking about what I had to do the next day and the day after the day after that, you know, I, I thought, why am I leaving this paradise? Why am I leaving this place? I love it here. I'm around, surrounded by boats and people who are spontaneous and doing what they love. And about the time getting ready to leave, a young woman came down the dock and she sat down and she started talking to me and she said, uh, I've got to go back to Canada tonight. And I can't believe I'm leaving. And I said, well, I'm thinking the same thing about my trip back to Atlanta. And she said, you know, I would love to, I would love to just get on the water and start this adventure. And I said, well, what do you have holding you back? And she said, well, I have an apartment and I have a job and I have a car. And I said, well, you can, you can change all of that if you want. And I gave her this lecture about how to do it. And then I gave her my contact information. I said, well, if you pursue this dream, let me know. Well, I forgot about this young lady and I went back to Atlanta and I got back into the rat race of my job until about a month or two later, I get a letter and it's from this girl. And she tells me her story and she said, I got back to Canada and the next, uh, that Monday, I gave notice, two weeks notice to my job. I sold my car. I got my brother to take over my apartment to buy my furniture. I took a flight back to Antigua, and within 48 hours, I had a job working as a chef on a on an 88 foot uh, sailing vessel, and I started my life yachting. And it gave me chills when I read that because I realized that I had been preaching to this young woman about how to change her life. Yet I wasn't willing to do the same thing. I went back to my job. I went back to that rat race. I was under tremendous stress. And 
she had done it and I hadn't. And I thought about that all the time until I finally decided to do it myself. And that was so freeing, so liberating. And the stress of my life rolled off of my back like a gigantic weight. And I was free and I pursued what I wanted to do. Now, th that, that's, that's incredible. I, 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 it's a twist in your story that I didn't expect. I thought, I thought you had already <laughs> been, you know, sailing, but that's interesting. Um, no, I knew nothing about uh, life on the water until I decided to look at boats and to, to buy one. I mean, I knew nothing. And I mean, it seems, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing based on the book, Rascal on the Run, that you're, you, you know, you're a criminal lawyer. So, you yeah. know, it, it seems somewhat, I, I guess, uh, an, it's an important job. I feel like there's a lot of weight to it. Um, do you, you know, do you, did you feel that? Is, am I looking at it maybe, you know, a little bit too simply or what, you know, is it the, the stress or is this something that makes you say, you know, I, I don't really want to do this, you know, forever? Well, the practice of law, like many jobs, uh, uh, but the practice of law is unique in that you are advocating for a client who may or may not be guilty. You're advocating for a client who may or may not be worthy of, of the task at hand. You don't know. You do your best to help those who you perceive as being uh uh, in need of, of uh, a just resolution of their case or their claim or whatever, but you don't really know. And you're involved in, uh, it's a high pressure, high stakes game. Somebody's liberty could be at stake. They could be incarcerated for a long, long time if it's a criminal case, or maybe they stand to lose all their assets in a civil case, or maybe they've been injured or who knows what the task is, but the weight upon the lawyer is tremendous. And, you know, you're, you, it's kind of a no-win situation if the person is exonerated and found not guilty. Well, they go, oh, nice job, but I shouldn't have even been charged in the first place. If you lose the case, well, it's all your fault. The lawyer screwed me. Or if, you know, any number of things, it's all on you. And, and lawyers get a bad rap. Some of it is justified because uh, because maybe they didn't do a good job and maybe they didn't do what they were supposed to, but some of it uh, is not justified, but all of it is pressure. And so I decided that the high stakes game of win at all costs and that I had enough of it. It was fun for a certain period of time. I was certainly successful doing it, but success is uh, comes with a price and a cost. And so when I left, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was a healthier person, a happier person. And that could be said to a lot of jobs, whether it's a dentist or an engineer or or someone running a podcast. We all get overhead and we all have to work and we feel the pressure of meeting all our financial obligations, our personal obligations. And, you know, we, uh, we're in a different age now. Uh, we could write a book on a boat. We could run a podcast on a boat. So there you have it. And, so it's interesting that you return sort of, I guess, to, to law in your, in the book. And I'm curious, you know, how the book came about. Did, did you decide, were you out at sea one day? I always just imagine you're out at sea and these ideas are coming to you and you start writing, or is it when you're back on land? Well, I met, uh, I met a film producer and I ended up having dinner with he and his wife and I started telling stories. And I got a call the next day from the wife and she said, you know, I, I produce motion pictures and all of these stories you told me are fascinating. 
have you ever thought about writing them down? Have you ever thought about trying to create a screenplay? Uh, and I said, absolutely not. I can't write. I've never done this before. She said, well, sure you can. Uh, can I meet you? Let's talk about this. And so we did. And she got me uh, interested. And I started writing down all the stories that I had related to her at this dinner party, plus all the other stories I could think of. And at the end, I had approximately 50 stories. And they were all unique and crazy and wacky and funny and poignant and everything else you could think of. And she said, this would make a great backdrop for a movie. Can we do a three-act play? Can you, we come up with a, an outline of, and, and plug in these stories into the outline? And what happened is we did and, and a screenplay was written and then it was suggested that a book be written. And I said, well, I've never written a book. And then I read a book called uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. And the woman had sold 8 million copies of this book. And then I read, it's her first book. And then I read further, this woman graduated from the University of Georgia in zoology. She didn't even have a literature background, per se. and But she did it. And so I thought, well, I'd never owned a boat before. I'd never traveled the seven seas before, but I did that. And I'd never written a book before, but I have all these stories already outlined. Maybe I could put it into a format that would be a compelling novel. How do I do this? Well, through many different options today, we have online courses on writing a book, on how do you do it? Uh, you have people who are writing coaches. You have all kinds of resources out there. And you don't know whether you could do it until you try. So I gave it a stab. And it, the first version wasn't very good. The second version was a little better. And I started talking to people who had written books. And they gave me suggestions. They gave me ideas. And away you go. Two years later, you got something really substantial. And then you find somebody to help you edit it and, and teach you about that and come up with different suggestions or ideas. And all, all along, you're recalling different stories and different things that might be interesting to plug into your plot device. And next thing you know, you've got something special. And to be quite honest with you, I never thought what I'd started back arising out of a dinner conversation with some uh, film producers that the rascal on the run would become a reality. Well, now it is, and it's become very successful and sales are really uh, taking off. Well, I, I will leave a link to the book in the description of the show as well. Um, I, it, it is fascinating. I mean, it's. It, I, I think you combine two things. I mean, my background is in engineering. I've been traveling now for like 14 something years, but my mentality is to take a problem and try to break it down and then approach it, you know, to make it more digestible. And I feel like, you know, your background in law helps you to kind of do that because, you, you know, you 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 tackle a problem i feel like very strategically which makes it a little bit easier to to sort of approach it that might, might be seem scary at first well to be successful you you can't have fear if you do you've got to hide it pretty well <laughs> and you do have to create a strategy of where do you what is the end game and then how do i get there and you have to plot a course and I don't mean to say that uh, plot, of course, is, uh, as a play on words with, with uh, traveling on a boat, but you plot a course in life. Uh, where do you want to go in life and how do you get there? And what are the things that could push you in one direction versus another? What are your priorities in life? Personal freedom for me is a priority. Travel is a priority being able to make choices is the priority. And like I said earlier in our podcast, uh, having the means to do that. 
uh, and you know, saying that money is important. Well, it is, but it's not the it's not the most important thing. Uh, and how do you get financial security so you can take a a, a step? And in law, uh, you're taking risk. In investing, you're taking risk and in charting a new course in life, uh, whether it be through pivoting from your profession into a, uh, a way to, to realize your dream, you're taking a risk. And reinventing yourself, you're taking a risk. But you can't have fear or else you'll never realize that you'll be paralyzed. So to change your life and change your course and change where you want to be in life uh, takes some courage. And it takes clarity of purpose and thought. Uh, it's it's a very inspirational and motivational, uh, <laughs> I think, way to to sort of wrap wrap this episode. But there is one question that I want to ask, and it, it's sort of my fascination with the sea because I'm terrified of it in in the sense that it is, you know, when you're on a boat, and I've, I, you know, you're sort of really at nature's mercy, but are there, you know, is there anything when you've been in the water that you've seen, whether it's wildlife or maybe, you know, in the sky or just something that you've seen that that really amazed you or that was different or that was, a, you know, maybe once in a, you know, lifetime kind of moment? Well, it did, and not in the way that you've asked, but in a different way. And that is this, it happened uh, last, this past January. Uh, we left port at around four o'clock in the afternoon and we were leaving Turks and Caicos heading to San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is about a 46, 48 hour run. So you're, you're cruising overnight and at about 10 o'clock at night, uh, I'm at the helm. The captain is taking, uh, uh, a rest and the first mate is down in his bunk and, all of a sudden I see flares go off about four or five miles on the, on the starboard side of the vessel. And I look on my charts and there are no islands over there. So I know it's not fireworks. It's something really unusual. And so I immediately yell for the captain, the first mate, we all come up and we decide that whatever it is, it's totally out of the ordinary. And we change course and try to steer in the direction of this. Fortunately, we had a moonlit night and about five miles off course, heading in the direction of where we saw the flares, we find a cargo ship capsized and four individuals floating in the water with no radio and no other means of communication to find help. And they're clearly in distress. Uh, we managed to rescue the four people in the water. We find out through first mate who spoke Spanish that there were three more people trapped underneath the boat and that one person had already died when the boat capsized. And uh, so we performed a rescue at sea. Well, after, the, uh, that we, after we got the four individuals out of the water and on the boat, we got them uh, comfortable with some food and water. They collapsed on the floor of exhaustion. It turns out they had been in the water for 20 hours and four or five other boats had, had gone by them at a distance of four or five, six miles and didn't notice them or, or just kept going and didn't realize what was going on. But uh, that was probably the most impactful uh, thing that ever happened on the, on the sea. Uh, but I could tell you that on a lighter note, there were so many times when I saw gorgeous sunsets, we saw whales, we've seen everything you can think of on the ocean. Uh, and it's just every day is a, uh, a, a wonderful array of natural beauty. And whether it be the turquoise waters of the, of the Caribbean to uh, historic settlements along the eastern seaboard of the United States and the sunsets and the uh, sights of other boats and, and topography and uh, going up historic rivers and 
imagining yourself being that person who was an early explorer and going exploring the, the coastline of the New World in the 1400s and 1500s. It's, it's amazing. And uh, meeting new people and, and gaining experiences through their stories and then maybe realizing those experiences. Uh, those are the highlights of it. We even saw an elderly couple approach the boat on a dock in, in Maine. And I looked out and I saw this couple and they were holding hands and the 75 year old lady was crying. And I got up and went out on deck and I said, hello. And she looked up and smiled and she said, my husband and I used to own this boat. We ran this boat for 10 years and those were the 10 happiest years of our life. This is the old Sunny, isn't it? And I said, yes, it's now called Capriccio. Uh, she said, yes, we had it. And we, we cruised all over Florida and the Bahamas and we had wonderful times. Do you think we could come aboard? And they did. And we're now very, very good friends and we see each other once a year and they come on the boat and tell me stories. And it's just, those are things you just can't describe. They're moments of, you know, beauty. Wow. Wow. I mean, what, what are the chances? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, well, I want to thank you for your time. Um, where's the next, where's the next adventure? Where, where are you headed to next? Well, uh, it's up the eastern seaboard in about three weeks, and I'm in Georgia now, but I'm heading back to the boat, and uh, we haven't set an exact schedule, but we're always looking for new places, so if any of your uh, listeners want to contact me and give me an idea of something new and exciting along the eastern portion of the United States, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I... Uh, I hope that uh, we get to return to some of our favorite places, but uh, I'm always looking for somewhere else. And that somewhere else is probably right around the corner. Only time will tell. Well, I'll, I'll definitely pass on uh, any, any suggestions. Um, where, where can people find you? Are you on social media? or? Yeah, the, uh, you can go to howardtscott.com. And you can uh, learn all about the book, Rascal on the Run. Uh, it's available on all platforms. It's actually on audiobook. And there's a great voice actor that does that. And, uh, you know, you can learn about uh, the book and about my travels. Or you can uh, contact me at uh, Howard T. Scott at att.com. Well, thank you very much for your time. I'll leave all those links in the show notes um, and uh, happy sailing, uh, but we'll have to catch up again. I mean, the, the, you, the adventures and the stories that, that you've had, are I, I feel like we've just barely touched the surface, but uh, it's been a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed, enjoyed talking to you. Well, welcome aboard and come by and visit anytime. Have thank a good day. You. you too. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Howard, for being my guest and sharing your experiences with us. If you are listening to this right now, my words, and you haven't already, be sure that you give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars on whatever platform you're listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Be sure to give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. Your support is everything and has been everything, and I appreciate it very, very, very much. I look forward to talking with you in the next episode, but until then, enjoy the rest of your day.